You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So we are a church that loves Jesus. That's it. There's really no other strings attached to it. There's no other, uh, we have no other agenda. Um, everything is based on Christ. We want to know him. We want to get to know him. What about you? Right? Like Jesus is it. If we didn't have Jesus, if, if, he, if he never came, if he never did his work, his life, his ministry on earth, if he never died, if he never resurrected, then all this here, everything that we talk about will be completely just worthless. Everything, everything, completely. Um, and so whenever someone reads the Bible, whenever a person who claims to be a Christian but then says that it's not about Jesus, it's about something else. It's about God's plan. Well, what is God's plan? And they're kind of obscure and ambiguous about it. The moment that you take Jesus out, that means you take the word out. The moment you take the word out, you mean, that means you take God out. You take everything out. And life becomes simply whatever you want it to mean. So this is a church, Shining Star Community Church, where even though it has the word community in it, if I could reword it, it is simply the church of Christ. That's it. We want to be men and women, brothers and sisters who are co-heirs with Christ, who are children of God in Christ, who want to glorify Christ in all things. And so this is what we're talking about, which is why for the past one year now, actually, the, the, last, the, uh, the first sermon of Genesis was uh, the third week of November of 2016. And so that's around now, actually. So it's been one year. And um, if, if you recall, every single sermon, every single chapter has always been about Jesus. And so my hope and my goal, and really this is God's aim as we go over and as we go through the exposition of every scripture, every passage, is simply that you come away from the Bible, from the passage, not knowing how to be better or do better, but realizing that Christ is better. And that you come home and that the first thing you think about when you hear this message or when you repeat it in your mind or when you re-listen to it on the audio on our website or anything like that, or when you discuss it with your friends during life group, is simply, I want to know more of Jesus. How can I love him more? And how can I understand that how loved I am by him? That's our goal. So turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about Jesus. You guys believe that? That makes me happy. That, that, that takes the pressure off my back. It does, right? <clears throat> now, I want to start into it. Um, when, you, when you have one child, whatever you give them, they typically get it all, right? So you want ice cream? It's all yours. There's no sharing, right? When you um, want, they, if you ask if they want a coloring book, you say, have at it. They get to do whatever they want. But when kid number two comes along, it changes. It's changed for us. It's now no longer, hey, Ada, have at it. It's now, hey, can you give him a little bit of your candy? Can you now share a little bit of your ice cream? Hey, Ada, I know that these are your markers and we got them for you, but can you, can you, can you share a little bit with your brother? And so I think my daughter and I think for most children who have siblings, 
They tend to grow up with a sense of equality, meaning this, that now as siblings, they, they say it's a little bit for me and a little bit for you, a little bit for me and a little bit for you. Well, here's the thing. God, he doesn't play by our rules. He doesn't. God gives to everyone he wants to and he withholds as he pleases. Okay? And that's what our text today is talking about. So we have this guy named Jacob and He's the patriarch, and now he's on his deathbed. And so for the past few weeks, what we've been doing is that we've been hearing him parcel out these blessings to his sons. And now finally, his son, his favorite son, comes along. And I know that sounds really messed up, his favorite son. It's okay. It's kind of like my family. I'm the favorite son, right? But without question, Joseph, he doesn't just get the equal amount of blessings that the other brothers got. No, he gets the big part. In fact, he gets not only just half of it, he gets the bigger half of it. And so today's text is really simply about the blessing on Joseph's life. Can you say blessing on Joseph? Now we can get right into it. And so our first point, it's not really a first point, but really the theme of this entire section is this. And, and I'm going to talk about a few points under that theme. So the theme is this, that we inherit all of God's blessings, all because of Jesus. We inherit everything, all the blessings from God, because of Jesus. And so, before we get to those points of what that means, I want to kind of dig into this theme a little bit, okay? Now, there's nothing equal about Jacob's blessings on his sons. There's nothing equal. Almost half of what Jacob says on his deathbed is summed up in the blessings that he's given to his two sons, Judah and Joseph. And all the other sons, they receive kind of a verse from daddy. Like maybe, maybe two verses. Some of them just get like two lines. Like just imagine that. Think of like God forbid my father is on his deathbed. And then, like, he comes, and I come to him, and he's like, David, I want, I want to bless this. I want to give you the home. I want to give you this and all this stuff. And after that, Danny comes in, my brother, and then my dad says, YOLO. Like, like he just finishes up with that. He's like, good luck, you know? So it's, it seems kind of really unbalanced, but that's what's happening here. The other sons, they just get a scrap, if you want to call it that. So here in this section, Jacob gets his favorite son, Joseph. And he pulls out all the stops because even though Joseph is not son number three or four or five or six, he is son number 11. Son number 11. Jacob, despite that number, still gives Joseph the blessings of the firstborn. That's, that's really shocking. Shocking. That son number 11 would get the blessing of son number one. It says that in 1 Chronicles 5, where it explains, Reuben was the firstborn, but he defiled his dad's bed. His rights as firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph. And then it continues on saying, <clears throat> And though Judah was the strongest of his brothers, and rulers came from him, the rights of the firstborn, yet the rights of the firstborn belonged to Joseph. And so through his last dying words, you see Jacob, the patriarch, the dad, he lavished his blessings on Joseph. But there's something here that really does not make any sense if you look at the history of Israel. So give me a moment here as I explain. Joseph's sons, especially Ephraim, knew of God's blessings. That's good. And so for the first few centuries after Exodus until the time of David, Ephraim, 
was the predominant tribe. In fact, five out of the 15 judges came from the tribe of Ephraim, including the greatest, who was Samuel. And Samuel led the people up until the anointing of King David. Uh, David. But what's interesting is this, is that when the nation divided under the rule of who? King Solomon, right? The tribe of Ephraim was the dominant tribe in the northern kingdom. Now here's the thing. Pastor James talked about the northern and southern kingdom, if you recall, this past week, last week, right? And he says something about this, that the northern kingdom can be described as what? It was notorious for a total lack of godly leaders. Total lack. In fact, there wasn't even one single righteous king. So here's the question. If Joseph was so blessed, and if his sons were so blessed, then whatever happened to those blessings that continued on, or should have, at least in our minds, have continued on, where are they now? Did anyone actually inherit those blessings? Because it seems like his tribe and his children's children's children that led the northern kingdom were completely devoid of any godliness. So listen up. Now I want to give you an encouragement here. Whether you're coming from a broken, non-believing household, or you have relatives or even immediate families who aren't Christians, and I think many, many of us do, you know this. It is by God's grace, if you are a Christian, that you are saved in the midst of all that. Mom and dad want nothing to do with God. Uncle, auntie want nothing to do with God. Brother and sister, they, they laugh at you for believing in God, and yet you are saved. <clears throat> Here's the thing. You have to understand that you, yourself, in that family situation will never be the blessing. The blessing is the fact that you know Christ. Christ is the blesser. And here's my encouragement to you all. In the midst of all that, they don't need the family, your parents, your siblings. They don't need more of you. They need more of Christ. They need more of Christ. And I say that with caution because it's not that I don't want you to live in the Spirit. It's not that I don't want you to display the radiance of Jesus Christ. I want you to. God wants you to. But here's the thing. The buck does not stop with you. In the midst of all that's going on in your life, with all the trials and tribulations that you're facing from such opposition and family, the buck, by God's grace, does not stop with you. It does not stop with you. You don't save. Christ does. You're not the blesser. Christ is. And so, Joseph, as much as the blessings he's received, we think, man, why can't it keep going on in his life? Why can't he be the continued blesser as he has been, right, for his entire family? Well, he's still not the blesser. Even though his children, children's children were acting ungodly, the thing is, even though it seems like the blessing stopped within him and from his lineage, it actually didn't disappear. In fact, the one who inherited it all is Christ. Because Jesus is the rightful heir of all these things promised to Joseph. So, that again should relieve us from any type of spiritual burden. That the buck doesn't stop with you. That you are not the one contributing to the, to the salvation of your parents or your family members. It is Christ. And so you see throughout the story of Joseph, we have repeatedly seen how, life, how his life pointed back to Christ. That it was all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But especially in the blessing of the firstborn, it's true. So I want you guys to hang with me for a second here. 
Though Jesus was born a descendant of Judah, and so he thus inherited the throne of God, the New Testament repeatedly declares Jesus to be the true and the ultimate firstborn son of God. Firstborn. That's the title given to Jesus. It says in Colossians 1, he is the firstborn over all creation. And again it says he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So no, the blessing on the firstborn which was promised to Joseph had not been forgotten. Had not been forgotten. And so maybe right now, here's a little encouragement for us. You think, uh-oh, I spiritually slipped up. Maybe, maybe I yelled at my, mom, my unbelieving mom. Maybe I kind of maybe had a, a fighting match whatever, with my unbelieving brother or sister. I kind of screwed the pooch here, and now they'll never believe in Christ. Uh-uh. That's not it. Have no fear, because that blessing that if God should want and place upon your family, if he intends to, he will do it. It will not be forgotten because of you. Your disobedience and perhaps even your rebelliousness will not impact the current of God's will. If God wants to save, he will save. If God wants to do something in your family, and guess what? You're less than perfect, it's okay. Brush that off and say, God, I trust you because I'm not the blesser, you are. I'm not the savior, you are. Amen? And so you're all thinking, okay, that's cool. What does that mean for me? So here it is. It is in Christ that all this inheritance, all these blessings that we're talking about here, we share in these things. That was God's intention from the beginning. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that we might be firstborn among many brothers. Then again, it says in Romans 8, 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so that's awesome, but what are these blessings that we're talking about? And this is where my, these are where my points begin. My first point is this. In Christ, we become fruitful for God. Turn to your neighbor and say, be fruitful. Now, you all probably think it's something weird. Okay? I'm not just talking about being fruitful and multiplying in terms of being reproductive. That's not, what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Let's look at Joseph here. Joseph's life could have very abruptly ended, right? His brothers tried to kill him, and then they settled for selling him as a slave. Potiphar's wife tried to sleep with him. When that didn't pan out for her, she tried to bring him down by accusing him of rape. Potiphar then got Joseph threw him into prison without trial, without justice. And in fact, in Genesis 49, 23, this passage that we just read, it kind of sums up and describes Joseph's life quite well. It says, The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. That was Joseph's life. He was attacked by bitterness. He was attacked by these people who were just trying to get him. But what did God do in all that? He protected his child. He protected him. He was a refuge. Joseph remained strong because God empowered strength in him. Then without warning, God suddenly blessed Joseph. Hallelujah. Without, without warning. Joseph was put in a position of honor in Egypt, second to Pharaoh. 
Joseph became a national hero for saving the entire country. In fact, he probably saved a lot of neighboring countries too. Joseph's family returned to him as predicted, and then they came to serve under him as predicted. Joseph's life became one of great fruitfulness. Okay, so hear me out. Joseph was considered a well-watered vine that climbed over the wall, and that's, that's what it says in verse 22, right? And that's a good image. It is a positive image. But then the image of the vine, when it's applied to Israel throughout the Old Testament, let me ask you something. So we have Joseph. He's a well-watered vine, and it's climbing and crawling over the wall as it can't be contained. That's a good, positive image. But then when you hear of Israel in the Old Testament being described as the vine, is it typically positive or negative? Say it. Negative. Negative. The Bible would say things like this. God would plant his prized vine, but it would bear bad fruit. Constantly. He would uphold Israel, but they would rebel. God would lavish them. He would bring life and vitality through them, but they would, what, again, succumb to rebelliousness and disobedience. And so never again after Joseph would there be a positive picture of fruitfulness, never again until Jesus. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine. In other words, Jesus was saying, look, I'm the fulfillment of all that Israel was supposed to be. But there's more. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me or abides in me and I in him, he or she will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, remain in me. Abide in me. Follow me. Trust in me. Walk with me. And you will succeed. Not succeed in terms of worldly accomplishments, but he said, you will be fruitful. There will be spiritual evidence of transformation. You will see that true peace and true contentment comes from abiding in me and nothing in no one else. So stop right there. We all want to be fruitful in our lives, I think. We want to be productive in our lives. We all want to make some sort of impact in our family life or at our work life or at our school life. Maybe you've been praying and seeking to be fruitful in your marriage and, or, or your relationship with an unbelieving spouse or unbelieving boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe you have family members who aren't Christians, and so you're desperate to somehow be fruitful and so that you can lead them to Christ. Or maybe your understanding of fruitfulness is simply something else. Maybe your understanding of fruitfulness is amassing wealth. It's simply about gaining power. It's about building up your portfolio. Or maybe like Bill and Melinda Gates, you would love to be known as a generous philanthropist giving millions and millions away to help those who are in need. And so your understanding of fruitfulness is that. I want to give. I want to make an impact. I want to do more with my life. I want to experience more life. I want to gain this or accumulate that. So the question we have to now ask ourselves is this. How do you define fruitfulness in your own life? What's your definition the more, when you wake up in the morning, you think, I want to be, fruit. maybe you don't use that term, but you know what I'm saying. I want to make an impact. I want to do something. I want to be productive. How do you define that for yourself? For some, maybe it's this. Today's the day I 
I work hard and put my money as a deposit, now I start and I own a business. Or maybe for some it's now today's the day I stop being lazy, I stop procrastinating, and I'm going to now study hard to get into grad school or get into university. And maybe some of us is this, you know what, I, I've worked my, my, my tail off for this many years at this corporate job and it is my turn now to get into that Fortune 500 company. Maybe for some of us is this, my idea of fruitfulness is, is gathering all my, all my wealth and all my assets and finally owning a home for myself or buying a fancy car Here's the thing, fruitfulness by God's definition, get this, has nothing to do with any of that. Nothing. So whether your capacity is small or big, whether you are considered a leader or a follower, whether you're rich or you have no money, whether you are highly intellectual or that maybe you barely graduated high school or whether you are physically strong and healthy or maybe you're feeling weak because you're sick or whether your station in life is great or small, get this, a fruitful life will only be found in, the con- in our connection to the vine, who is Christ himself. Did you get that? Jesus says this, abide in me. Remain in me, for without me, you can do nothing. Fruitfulness begins in the heart, where your words and actions will get this, ultimately not promote you, but glorify God. That's when you know you're being fruitful. And when you are transforming more each and every day into the likeness of Christ. This is how you know you're fruitful. That you not only have a desire to be transformed, but get this, there is evidence in your life of transformation, of you looking more like the image of Christ. So a good way to see, engage if you are being fruitful, is to talk to someone who knows you and say, critique me. Tell me, how am I doing? How am I really doing? So that's why regardless of whether you have a fat bank account or a bunch of degrees to your name, if people see Christ in you, you are fruitful for you are abiding in Christ. If your life is characterized by the work of Christ and his love for others, you are abiding in Christ. If you are proclaiming the truth of the gospel and you are proclaiming it to yourself as well so that others might know him, so that you might know him more, you are abiding in Christ. That's what being fruitful is. But not only do we become fruitful in Christ, my second point is that in Christ, God, he gives us himself. God, he gives us himself. So in modern Christianity, the way that people try to sell the gospel to non-believers is by saying things like this. <clears throat> Maybe you said it. Hey, come to Jesus and your problems will all be solved. Have you said that? Have you heard that? Come to Jesus and he will protect your business. I've heard that. Come to Jesus and you will know nothing but peace and happiness. And so we imagine when we come to know Jesus that we'll just kind of flutter around for the rest of our 60, 70, 80 years here in this life. And that we'll be immune to any type of wicked, wickedness or destruction. So <clears throat> here's a couple things wrong with those statements. Firstly, it's just false. Jesus does not take away your problems. In fact, in fact, 
trusting in him might actually create more problems. Can I hear an amen to that? Secondly, what's wrong with those statements is this. And hear me out. Those statements do not promise me enough. Does that make sense? Those statements do not promise me enough. I, you'll have blessings. You'll have riches. You'll be lavish with good health. That's not enough. No, no, no. no. Your business will, will flourish. You'll grow. You'll have exponential ink, all this stuff. It's not enough. No, you'll have a happy marriage. Everything will be swimming. That's not enough. No, you'll finally be able to have kids or your children grow to become respectable, amazing people. That's not enough. I don't want to waste my time with things that will pass away. I don't want to waste my time pursuing things that won't matter. I don't want to win battles if it means that I lose the war. Those things that we hope would happen in our lives if we come to Christ are a waste of time because Christ gives us something far better. And here it is. That's not to say that success or family or wealth is not important, but those things should never, ever be our final goal. They should never be our sole ambition in life because those things, as good as, I, as they might be, they are not our life's purpose. They're just not. We need to say, I'd rather have Jesus because not only is he better, he is the best. He is the best. He gives us eternal life. He gives us his eternal word. He gives us himself, the author and perfecter of our faith in Christ. God gives us himself. This was the heart of the covenant from the beginning. God said this, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that's really what Jacob held before Joseph as the heart of all his covenant blessings. He says, son, yeah, yeah, God, it's God who accounts for all your success. And yes, son, it's God who protects you. And yes, God, is, it's the Lord who blesses you. But yes, Joseph, my son, more than anything else, God himself is your portion. More than anything else, more than God giving you the riches, more than God lavishing you with those opportunities, get this, son. The greatest blessing that I can say upon you is this. You get God. You get God. And it's far better than anything else you could ever want. You can become number one in Egypt and take over the throne. But guess what, son? Even better than that is you get God. He is your portion. And folks, right now, God is telling you, you know what? Stop striving for worldly fruitfulness. He says, you can get me. In Christ, you can have me. Is he your portion? Today, can you confidently say, God, you are enough for me today. As you work hard, as you study late into night, as you struggle in your marriages, as you grow anxious with each passing week, as you see your bank account slowly bleed money, can you say in those moments, God, you are my portion. 
You are my God. You are the God of Jacob. You are the rock of Israel. You are the Father God who loves. You are the God who gives himself to us. You are El Shaddai, means you are almighty. My honest hope and prayer, folks, is this, that you speak those profound truths of who God is over your life in the midst of the brokenness that surrounds you and will continue to surround you until your very last breath. That you know that God may not necessarily, most likely, will not change your circumstance. But he will allow you to see above it so that he can lead you through it. And that's what Jacob describes here in this passage. But not only that, you see, God, he is the mighty one, is he not? In all our lives, he's the mighty one of Jacob. So I want to kind of talk about that for a second here. I want to talk about his names. Because these names are important for us to know. These names are so important for us to know that these are names that we can cry out to God and cry out even in defense of the attacks from the enemy. God, he is a mighty one. Can you everyone say mighty one? Okay, so throughout Jacob's life, Jacob had been repeatedly confronted with his weakness. Can you imagine that? Someone constantly saying, this is not, this is how bad you are. You are not good enough. But instead of getting defensive or sensitive, you see, he realized that unveiling his weakness only served to impress upon him God's mighty strength. He realized, (laughs) okay, the more everyone knows how weak I am, the more people will realize how good and strong God is. This reminds me of why we love underdog stories, why we love movies like Rudy. Have you seen that movie? Rudy? Or more recently, Grace and I, we watched a movie called 42, The Story of Jackie Robinson. Great story. It's knowing that at least on paper, it wouldn't seem likely that these people could succeed, but they do. You see, for Jacob, it wasn't his own strength, but rather the hand of the mighty one who protected him and led him. It was God who was content. Get this. It was God who was content on Apostle Paul's weakness. God was okay with it. Maybe Apostle Paul kind of struggled with it. Maybe he was like, I got to build myself up a little bit. Maybe he's saying, I need to prove myself a little bit more. But God says, I'm content with where you're at. I'm content. Why? Because I'm going to let my light shine through you. For those who know me and have journeyed with me since 2007, you knew my weaknesses from the get-go. As a pastor, and so when you see the people who are here now, sitting around you, across from you, when you see the spiritual growth of members, when you see people flourishing and our ministry growing, I hope you can all say this. You know, Pastor David, I love you, but this has nothing to do with you. Because I know how weak you are. And then I feel attacked for a second. And I go, but praise God, yes, you're absolutely right. Everything has everything to do with God's strength. Everything to do with him. It's got everything to do with the object of our faith. It's got everything to do to the one that we're praying to. And as much as we want to grow as we should, we should also be humbled in spite of our weaknesses because it is in your weakness that God displays his strength. Right? But not only that, Jacob also calls God shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd himself, so I think this term was extra meaningful for him. He knew how dumb sheep were. He knew how vulnerable his flock were. He knew the kind of vigilance and individual attention it took to shepherd well. 
And so Jacob, he had also come to understand that through his entire journey, man, God, you are my shepherd. I am dumb. I am fearful. I need guidance. Thank you for shepherding me. Let the words of God shepherd your soul, folks. Let him lead you to refreshing waters. Let him lead you to lush greenery. Let his, coat, let his truth coat you. Let him feed you and guide you and protect you. Don't be stubborn. But abandon yourself and surrender your trust in Christ as our shepherd. Amen? But lastly is this. Jacob also calls the Lord the rock of Israel. Did you know that um, people change? Yeah, turn to your neighbor and say this. You change too much. <clears throat> There's a saying. Women hope men would change, but they don't. Men hope that women wouldn't change, but they do. Now, that's not to say that only women change. Of course, we all do, hopefully for the better. But the reality is this. We live in a life where words are no longer as strong as oak where commitments can be broken, where truth is relative, and where the only constant thing in life is the knowledge that there is no constant thing in life. But God. God, he's firm and he is constant. Your world may be changing. My world is changing. Your world is changing too. But God, he's not governed by this world. He does not change. He is our rock. Can you say hallelujah to that? He is our rock. And I want to tell you, how he is our rock. He is our everlasting rock. That, you know what that is? That's when Isaiah cried out when he prophesied that the Messiah would come and establish his kingdom. Permanize yourself here. Make it permanent here, God. He is a living rock that Peter describes when the fact that we're all building spiritual homes and where Christ must be the cornerstone. He is the rock of refuge where the psalmist cries out that being with God is actually the safest place to be, under his wings. He is the rock of salvation, which is where we is described as this massive, impenetrable mountain where upon the cliff we find strength. Upon that cliff we find what? Security and we find reliability. He is the rock of my strength where the psalmist describes God as the source for all endurance to keep going. That he is the source for all strength when it seems like you can't go and you can't push any longer. It is in those times that we will see God not only carry you, but he will empower you to go through it and he will protect us too. You see, Jacob, at this point, he just could not hide his pride and his love for his favorite son, Joseph. And so he constantly just lavished these blessings upon the firstborn, of, of the blessings of the firstborn on his son. And Joseph, he got way more than simply the bigger half of the pie. But the reality is this. Jacob was speaking of bigger things, of bigger and greater things that he ever dreamt of. Yes, Joseph and his descendants would receive blessing, but ultimately, these words of blessing prophetically said this, it is all about Jesus, Joseph. You have no idea, and quite frankly, I really have no idea either, but something, someone greater, bigger, eternal is coming. And it's more than simply your blessings. It's more than simply your inheritance. You see, it's about Christ. It's about this one that we call the Messiah, the aim of this message from God's word is simply this, folks. Listen to me, and this is how I end. Lay down everything else. Everything else. 
all expectations you think people might have for you, all expectations you created for yourself, and ask yourself this one question, are you in Christ today? Are you in Christ? Are you in a relationship with him? Are you fellowshipping with him daily? Are you abiding in the vine? Are you living as his people? Because all that begins with this, do you know Christ? The blessings you seek and the rewards you're after does not constitute fruitfulness. The wellness of your life does not necessarily indicate whether or not you have a good, whether or not you have God as your portion. God in his grace has included his covenant people in his inheritance for those who trust in him. God says, you can have me. Folks, it's not about saying a prayer. It's about living in his word and living out his word. Trust in Jesus and surrender your life to him today. And God says, you will be blessed. That's it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and for the gentle reminder, maybe gentle, but certainly your reminder today that, God, you are faithful, and that you are committed to us, that if we give our lives over to Christ, surrender ourselves to him, Father, the inheritance, and I'm not just talking about health, wealth, and prosperity, that stuff, Lord, we want more than that. That is not enough for us. I want more than simply a comfortable, easy life. I want more than simply an opportunity to make myself famous. Lord, I want, I want you, God. We want you. So we thank you for that reminder. Lead us now as we pray and kind of reflect and meditate on what you've just heard. Stew on it, what you've heard. God is speaking to you. He's speaking. Open your heart. Open your mind. Let the presence of God dwell on your mind and heart today. What is he saying? And how will you respond? Ask yourself, are you abiding in him? It's not, are you visiting him? Are you, but it's, are you remaining in him? Walk with him. And you will see the splendor of his blessings. You want to make an impact in this world? Then follow the one who has and will. It's Jesus who will do it, not you. And maybe, just maybe, God might use us. But surrender yourself today. We thank you, uh, Lord. And I pray that you continue to lead these folks here. So brothers and sisters, take this time, let's pray, and we'll go into our last song.